welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, last time we were here in chapter one, we basically saw where after the Hebrew people were welcomed into Egypt by the Pharaoh who was who's under whose administration Joseph was, there was a change. And this basically came because of the change in dynasties. Now, if you don't understand it, go back and look at the introduction because there in the introduction, I explain why it is valuable to understand that the change in the feeling of the Egyptian people toward the Hebrews from being welcomed into Egypt in the first under Joseph, and then this great hostility that we see under the Pharaohs. And this was simply because of a change of dynasties. And as I explained in that introduction, the dynasty of Pharaohs came from the Hyksos, and I can't go through it again, but please take a look at it. Hyksos dynasties, which were Semitic Pharaohs. These Semitic people were of the same family of the Hebrews. And so therefore there was an invitation. However, that dynasty changed under Amos the first, and he was the first, he brought in the first dynasty of the Hamitic pharaohs, and these were the native Egyptians. And we already know how the Egyptians felt about the shepherds or Semitic peoples. And so because of that, that is the change of dynasty, there became an oppression and suppression of Semitic people. The Hyksos were ejected from Egypt, and any remaining Semites were oppressed. The Hebrews are Semites or Semitic people. And so therefore, with the change in dynasty, it became a change in the attitudes of the Pharaohs and Egyptians toward the Hebrew people who came in under Jacob. And so therefore we saw oppression. And the first type of oppression, it were three types of oppression we saw in chapter one. The first time we saw it was harsh labor. And the whole point of the matter was to inflict upon the Hebrew men labor so harsh and difficult, they would be less inclined to have sexual relations with their wives. And so therefore the population of the Hebrew people can be controlled with this measure, but that failed and their population continued to expand. Then we saw the next Pharaoh and his edict was to command the Hebrew midwives to kill all babies. When they saw there was a baby born in the womb to kill them. But we know that the Hebrew wives refused to obey the command of the Pharaoh. And so therefore the, the population of Hebrews continued to grow. And then third, and it's because of that, the failure of the Hebrew wives to obey the Pharaoh, that the next Pharaoh, and this was Thutmose the first, commanded that all Egyptians had the authority to kill any Hebrew baby. And the whole point was to quell the population of the Hebrews so that there would be just enough of them to remain slaves to build their treasure cities, but not too many of them to join with their enemies and attacking them. So therefore it is under in this atmosphere of great oppression, the killing of the babies, that we move into chapter two in which we will see Moses, the great deliverer is being born. Okay. So now with that, let's get into chapter two. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. 
But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Okay, now let's stop there because you should be able to uh, uh, determine, ascertain a lot what's going on. Remember the environment that's going on, right? Any Egyptian can kill uh, the, the Hebrew baby boys. The women are commanded to put these children to death as well, okay? And so it starts out with this environment without even naming, because we're dealing with here, the birth of Moses, a certain man of the house of Levi. And we do remember Levi from Genesis chapter 34. He was known for the killing of all of those Shechemite men. But nevertheless, uh, we do remember Levi. So this is from the family of Moses. Now, the man who remains unnamed at this time is Amram. That's Moses's father, Amram. And his mother is named Yoshebed, who is actually the aunt of Amram. Okay. And so this is that particular man. And so she conceived that is Yoshebed bore Amram a child and they saw that he was a beautiful child. Now there is a lot of assumption that is going here because we'll see that not only is it spoken of here, but also Stephen talks about it in Acts chapter seven and is hinted to in Hebrews 11 concerning Moses. But the point here is not only was he a beautiful, he was a, a healthy baby boy, but it seems to intimate that, that she saw something within this particular child. And that seems to be the idea of the narrative. But anyway, and so she kept her baby as long as she could. Remember, the whole idea is any Egyptian, if you see a Hebrew baby, you can kill him. And this is the reason why she had to hide the baby. But she could only hide the baby up to a point. And that's basically what we see here. And he was, what, three months old. And so when she could no longer hide him, she decided to set him in the hands of the Lord. Now, let me stop here. The whole idea that's going on with this building of this little ark, because that's basically what you have, is almost uh, 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 similar to what Noah did to build this little boat type thing with pitch and tar. And that's basically how Noah built his ark. And so Moses' mother built him a little ark and set him upon the Nile in the reeds of the Nile. But the point is, the sovereignty of God. Now, that's what me needs to be seen here in all of this particular chapter. And I'm going to do my best not to make it long. The sovereign hand of God is very much clear in all of these events. She has the baby boy. She sets him upon the Nile. Who finds the child? How the woman herself is called back to nurse the child? So we'll go. We'll go through all of those points as we move through the text. But what I want you to see now is that God's hand is sovereignly in the life of Moses, even as a child. Okay, and so that's what we're going to see. So she makes this thing. She sets it upon the Nile, and that is, and, and that is that place where we'll later find out where the daughter of the Pharaoh will come in her ceremonial bathing. But anyway, so let's go on. And so when she sets the child on the Nile, it seems to suggest that she also tells her, her I'm sorry, 
Moses's sister, who is Miriam. And she remains unnamed as well here, but her name is Miriam. And she tells Miriam to go watch to see what becomes of the basket, what becomes of the baby. And so she goes, Miriam goes, watch the basket and sees what becomes of it. Okay. So now let's go to verse number five. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's nurse, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Okay. Again, it is, it is absolutely a beautiful thing. Impossible to miss the sovereign hand of God, but let's work our way through the text. So notice, notice the sovereignty, the control. That's what I mean when I say sovereign. the control of God in orchestrating all of these events. Why? Look at the time the, the, the woman makes the ark, sets the child up on the Nile. And is it, hap it just so happens to be at that time that Pharaoh's daughter it comes out for her bathing. No, this is not so happened. This is orchestrated by God. God is orchestrating the events because he wants Moses to be raised in this family. He wants, as we will find out also too through Stephen's uh uh, uh, speech that he'll give in Acts chapter seven and also in the book of Hebrews, how he is educated in the wisdom of, of Egypt, because Egypt here is the most advanced nation in the world. And it, it is just an absolutely beautiful thing. It is Moses who writes the first four books. You know, he didn't write Genesis. Genesis is compiled, but the rest of the Pentateuch, those remaining four books, the law of Moses written by Moses, he needed an education. So God here is preparing him even as a baby in the same way that I believe that he, he prepared the apostle Paul, but I'm not going in that direction. But nevertheless, let's continue with the commentary. So what happens? She's at the Nile, that is the daughter of Pharaoh. And this is once again, uh, Thutmose's first, this is Thutmose the first daughter. Her name was Hatshepsut. Okay. Remember what we said in the introductory material about that. She is the adoptive mother of Moses. She is also, so, so we just threw this in too. So when we get to it down the road, she is the sister of Thutmose the second who died. Thutmose the second is her brother who died. And so therefore it is Thutmose the third who is a young boy, but he's not able to rule. And so therefore Hatshepsut will rule along with Thutmose the third. And so that's the event that's taking place that, that will take place, but not right now, not right now. So what's going on here? Hatshepsut, she has now found the baby Moses. She has sent her nurse, 
her maidens to recover the basket, brings it up. She sees clearly and she knows clearly that the child is Hebrew. And what happens? They remember Moses's sister Miriam is following. She says to Moses's own sister, she said, she said, she said, shall I find uh, Moses's sister says to her, a, a nursing woman of the Hebrew. That is a Hebrew nursing woman, a woman who can give suck to the child. That's literally what she's saying here. Shall I find her to give uh, to, to, to breastfeed, to, to take care of the child for you until the child is old enough to, you know, eat food and whatever. And so she simply says to her, go call the nurse. And what does she do? The woman, she, she the, the girl, I'm sorry. <laughs> Miriam goes to her own mother and her mother receives wages from Pharaoh's daughter, to raise her own child. So look at how the events go. M Moses's mother in fear for the life of her son sets him on the Nile river. Her son is found by the actual daughter of the Pharaoh who gave the edict to kill the child. Moses's sister goes back to his own mother and tells her that Pharaoh's daughter wants to pay her wages to raise her own child so that that child can be given and raised in the courts of Pharaoh when the child is weaned from Moses' mother. So the hand of God, and that's what I was talking about when I was talking about the sovereignty. God's hand is clearly in all of these events to orchestrate the life of Moses so that Moses would be raised by the very Pharaoh's daughter, the Pharaoh daughter who gave the edict that he should be put to death. So there's a bit of irony in this, in all of these events. Okay, but let me go on. So the girl calls her mother and her mother raises Moses. So here's a point that I want to make clear too. Cause some, and, and, and I, I, I like the 10 commandments move, movie, just like all the rest of you. But remember the, the movie, the 10 commandments is drama and not biblical, even though it's supposed to be biblically based. This is biblical text. Okay. So here's the point that I want to make here because Moses was literally raised by his own mother. He always knew he was Hebrew. He did not discover he was Hebrew when he was 40 years old. He knew he was Hebrew because he was raised by his Hebrew mother as a small boy until he came of age, until he came of age. But he knew he had this knowledge that he was Hebrew. OK, so now with that, let's just simply move through the text. Verse number 10, then the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, 
Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Okay. Now these verses actually cover uh, uh, 40 years or a, a period of, of 40 years time. Okay. So let me walk you through it. So it says, verse number 10, the child grew and he, and so the woman, Moses's mother, Yoshebed, when Moses became of age, no doubt he was a boy. He was a boy. She brought him back to the Pharaoh and there, um, had subshit legally adopts, you know, it's formal, of course, Moses as her child and Moses is now being raised and educated in the courts of Egypt in the, in the, of the Pharaoh. So he's getting the very best of best of education. He's living the absolute best of lives because he is considered to be uh, for for all major purposes, a son of the Pharaoh. OK. And so when he came there, she named him. Notice it said Moses, which literally means now there's a play on the name of Moses. Actually, the name it, it literally is pronounced Moshe. Moshe. And it has a play on words. It means to be drawn, to be drawn. And that is because she drew him from the Nile. So that's one play on the word name Moses. But also too, notice, I, I, okay, again, and I hate to keep putting it to you, but you need to watch the introduction. Remember, we talked about those particular Hamitic pharaohs. Remember, our Moses, remember, uh, Amenhotep, Thut Moses, the first, Thut Moses, the second, and Thut Moses, the, the third. Notice that name, Mos, Mos. And notice there is a relationship between the name. So when we see these uh, names of the pharaoh, the Mos names, there is also a, a, a a, a derivative Mose means son of. And so therefore, when we see these Pharaoh's names, notice they named themselves after their Egyptian gods. And these are their idol gods of the Egyptians. And so therefore the names of the Pharaoh's would have a relationship with the idol gods of Egypt. So Thut Moses, son of Thut, right? And, and that's the idea. And so Moses here is given a cognate name, Mos, because at a particular point in time, and this is what the, the book of Hebrews lets us to see that it will, it would be because Moses himself is a prince of Egypt at a particular point in time, he would take a name after one of the gods of Egypt. And so therefore he is simply called Moshe. And at some point in time, he would take a name of a derivative of one of the gods like Thut Moses. You got it. But that's why Hebrews, the book of Hebrews said that when Moses became of age, he refused to be called after any of the gods of Egypt, after Pharaoh's daughter, after the names of the pharaohs, he rejected that Egyptian heritage. And so therefore he was simply and only called 
Moses. He never got that full name. But anyway, that's all of that. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? And so now, and so it came about. Notice when it's in verse number 11, it, it, when he came about, he wanted to look out upon his brother's afflictions. That is, so it moved us all the way until Moses being 40 years of age. And that's why it, even though the text moves rapidly, it's covering quite a bit of time. And so here in verse number 11, Moses is 40 years of age. And so now he goes out to look on the affairs of his brother. And that goes again to sanction the point, to affirm the point. He always knew that he was Hebrew. He didn't like discover. He knew he was Hebrew. And so it was this time in his life. He determined he wanted to do something about his Hebrew brothers. OK, let me make a pause here and I'm trying not to make it too long, but it's such a beautiful thing. I don't want to say arrogance of Moses. I don't want to say that. But let me say there was a bit of presumption on his part. And I can understand the presumption that might have occurred in the mind of Moses, because I think you know that you're a Hebrew. You know that, you know, you're one of the baby boys that should have been killed. But nevertheless, you look at all the events in your life. You brought to the Pharaoh's household, raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. And all of this, you know, you begin to believe. Remember, that's what I was trying to say. There's an intimation that when Moses' mother looked at him, not only he's a beautiful child, but something special, something uh, that God had reserved for this particular child. Don't you know that Moses looked at his own life and determined there has to be something special for me to do? And since I'm Hebrew and he looks at all of these Hebrew slaves who are being oppressed by the Egyptians, He's beginning to think that maybe I have been brought to the Pharaoh's house. Maybe all these things have been done in my life by the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that I might deliver my brethren. And maybe this is the time. So there is a bit of assumption and no doubt, no doubt, a bit of arrogance in Moses. But and he's right. God did intend for him to be the deliverer, but it was not because, and let me bring this point home. Such a beautiful thing, not because of Moses's pedigree, not because he was raised in the courts of the Pharaoh. God will, he will use those things. He uses those natural educational things in our lives. He uses it, but that's not what God does. That's not how he makes us. That's not what he brings out of us to bring us to certain points of leadership and to, 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 to what he wants Moses to be. That's not what he's going to do. Let me, let me just simply tell you in advance. It's not the courts and the education that he received in the course of Egypt in the first 40 years of his life that God will use. It's when God sends him in the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd that God will use. God will use Moses as a shepherd, as a shepherd to Israel, as a shepherd to lead his people. It is in the humbling circumstances in the tents of Jethro of Midian that God will make Moses to be the man that he wants him to be. It is not in all of that high polluting education of Egypt. So Moses here, even in a beautiful, in that beautiful, he thinks at this time, 
I'm prepared. It must be now that God wants me to be. And it ends up being a total failure. So let's talk about, let's work through the commentary. He goes out. He, he, he has this mindset. I'm going to help my people. And so what does he see? He sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew slave. And so what does he do? He looks to see if anybody is looking and he kills the Egyptian and buries his body in the sand. But remember, there's another witness, even though he was looking to see there was no witness. That was the, the Hebrew slave that he saved. And so what happened? He comes the next day in the whole sense. Remember, Moses is now trying to act as a deliverer. But in that beautiful, he got it wrong. He is the deliverer, but he is not the deliverer because he thinks he's prepared. He's going to be the deliverer when God thinks he's prepared. And notice when God thinks he's prepared, he ain't going to want to do it. <laughs> But anyway, so he goes out the next day. He see two Hebrews argue with one another and one of them has assaulted his brother. So he said to the one who wrongly assaulted the other Hebrew, why are you doing this? So the Hebrew slave responds, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me like you, t you kill the Egyptian? And so now he finds out that the word has gotten out. But here's the whole point. Look at how Moses was acting. It, it is just such a beautiful thing. And look at how the Hebrew slave responded to him. Moses was trying to act as a deliverer. And notice how the Hebrew responded to him. He totally rejected him as a deliverer. It was not that time. And notice again, too, this would be the same attitude of many of them all throughout the time when it is time for Moses to deliver him. When God sends him back, this would be the continual attitude of contempt that they have toward Moses. They will continuously fight against Moses in their deliverance. But we're not there yet. But anyway, so after this happened, Moses became afraid because this was known to the Pharaoh and this news of Moses killing the Egyptian reached the ears of the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh tried to bring Moses into judgment. And of course he wanted to kill Moses. But now here's the thing that you have to see and let me shorten it up again. Let's go all the way back. Remember Moses was a member of the Royal family and because he was a member of the Royal family, Moses could kill anybody he wanted to without any retribution. He could kill a slave. He could kill an Egyptian because Moses was a prince of Egypt. So why is it that the Pharaoh here wanted to kill Moses? It goes all the way back. Introduction once again. This particular Pharaoh here is Thutmose III. Okay. This was the Pharaoh who was co-ruling with Hatshepsut. Remember, Hatshepsut was Moses' adopted mother. Hatshepsut ruled Egypt, uh, uh, even though she co-ruled Egypt with Thutmose III, Thutmose III was a boy. And so therefore the rule of Egypt was really firmly in the hand of Hatshepsut. And this is what made Thutmose III hate Hatshepsut because she was the true power and ruler of Egypt. Okay. And he hated her for that. So by this time 
Hatshepsut was dead. And since Hatshepsut died, Thutmose the third, he went on a rampage, removing all her, anything that had her name, everything that was associated with Hatshepsut. You see it? He wanted to get rid of it. And so Moses was the adopted son of, of Hatshepsut. Thutmose the third wants to get rid of everything associated with her. Now he has an opportunity, a reason to get rid of the son of Hatshepsut. And that is the reason that he killed an Egyptian. And, you know, so he this was the manufactured thing, even though Moses was a prince. And his whole point was her son still kill him. And so therefore, what did Moses do? Now we see why Moses ran for his life. It is because Thutmose Third was getting rid of everything that was associated with Moses's adopted mother. So what did he do? He fled to the land of Midian. Okay, now and he ended up being by a whale. So now let's move forward. Verse number sixteen. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and he watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Invite him to break bread. Now let's stop there. Okay, so now Moses has, he has fled from the face of Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of oppression, Thutmose the third, okay? And now he finds himself by this well of the priest of Midian. Now this priest of Midian, as they later on calls Ruel, who is also called Jethro. Now the reason why he is called the priest, he is a priest of Midian is because these are descendants, descendants of Abraham from the, uh, from Abraham's wife, Keturah, that's Genesis chapter 25. Remember Abraham married a second time after Sarah died, Keturah. And so these are the descendants of Abraham by his wife, Keturah, this Jethro called here, Ruel, the priest of Midian. And it tells us that he had seven daughters. And so having only daughters, they were the shepherdess and it was their responsibility to take care of the flock. So when they came to the well, and again, what is undeniable in chapter two of Exodus, the sovereign hand of God, that is, it happened at the time that they were coming to the well and guess who was at the well at the time that they were coming. Moses was there and guess what happened? Moses defend these women from one of these women. He meets the man Jethro of the seven daughters. He marries one of their daughters and he has children by them. So all of these things, these things are not incidental. The sovereign hand of God is at work, but let's just go on with the commentary. So they come to, to, 
to water the, water the flock, the seven daughters. And then we have these men run, they, they cause trouble. And Moses defends these women. He, he beats them up, so to speak, and he waters the flock. And notice there is kind of like a similarity in what we see. I believe that was Genesis chapter 24, when we saw uh, 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 the, the servant of Abraham finding a daughter, I'm sorry, a wife for his son, Isaac. Remember in a similar thing in how she uh, uh, waters the waters, <laughs> gives waters to the camels of, of Abraham's servant. So there's a kind of similarity in the same sense of the thing. But nevertheless, Moses is playing this particular role at this time. So he waters, he, he defends the daughters of Ruel. He waters the flock. They go back home. When they go home, Ruel notices that they're home much earlier than they normally would be. And so he asked them, what happened? How did you get home so soon? They explained to him a man, an Egyptian. And the reason why they were able to say an Egyptian is simply because they looked at Moses's clothing. <laughs> and so they simply said an Egyptian helped us and he watered our flocks and all of these things. And so in, in a customary greeting, Simply to say thank you. Ruel simply says to the daughter, why did you leave the man out there? Simply invite him to bread. And so he gives Moses the invitation to come and break bread with him. And so, of course, Moses accepts the invitation with Ruel. And that's how all of the other things fall into motion. So let's talk about that. All right. So where are we now? Uh, 21. Moses was willing to dwell with the man and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son and he named him Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. OK, now let me move through this, but we're going to have to hit a couple of places. So Moses was willing to dwell with the man. So now, therefore, he extend. There's an all. Ruel, Jethro, extends the offer of to Moses to stay with them, reside with them. And in the process, he gives Moses one of his seven daughters by the name of Zipporah. And this is the only woman. No, isn't that interesting? In Exodus chapter two, who is actually named the only woman who is named Moses's wife. But anyway, so she gives birth to Moses' first son, who is called Gershom. And that's actually a, a play on two Hebrew words, one meaning a stranger and the other word meaning dwelling. And so that is that's why he names him dwelling, because Moses in the land of Midian. Remember, Moses was raised in Egypt. He says, I am an alien in a strange land. OK, and that's why he named him Gershom. And so then it talks about it came about in the matter of days that the Pharaoh who was trying to kill Moses thought most the third 
has died. And so now we have a new Pharaoh who is coming to power, Amenhotep II. We'll talk about him later in Exodus chapter three. Uh, again, check out the intro. But we have a new Pharaoh that has rose up to power. And now we also too have this introduction because what we what we're not what, we, what it didn't say was here. Even though we've moved rapidly through the text of Exodus chapter two, we have actually moved through eight approximately eighty years of time. Because now, as Moses has been in um, the land of Midian as a shepherd under Jethro for the flock of Jethro, okay, God has been preparing him. For 40 years, so Moses is now 80 years of old, 80 years of age approximately at this time. We've moved through this particular time where God is now ready to send Moses unto, to deliver the children of Israel. So what we're going to see are basically three phases of 40 years in the preparation of Moses' life. The first 40 years, Moses will be raised in Egypt. The next 40 years, Moses would be prepared as a shepherd in the land of Midian. And in the next 40 years, Moses will be delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. But in finishing the text, notice what it says. It begins to emphasize again the bondage of the children of Israel and how miserable it was. So Moses thought to deliver them 40 years ago. So it has been continuing on for an additional 40 years and the bondage and the oppression has been growing worse and worse. And then it begins to say how God remembers his promise. He remembers his covenant, how their cry came up to the ears of God. Now, all this is, is what is called anthropological language. It is, it is making God seem as if he is acting as a man in the sense that God remembers the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason why it is anthropological language is because God never forgets. So it is just using it as if a man. So it's simply the same that the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has never forgotten. He is now beginning to act on that covenant. And that covenant is to bring them back into the land of Canaan so that the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will possess the land of Canaan. So God is now saying the time is the time. Remember Genesis chapter 15, when I told Abraham that his for four generations, his seed will be into a land that is not their own. I will bring them back to this land. That time is now. I am now about to give them the land that I promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so therefore God is looking as if looking down from heaven and coming to visit the sons of Israel in preparing to deliver them. That's what it means when God took notice of them. He never forgot them. It is just simply saying the time is now. All right, guys, thank you for joining me with that. The next time we come back, we're going to get into chapter three when we're going to see God begin to speak to Moses to tell him to do what he was so eager to do 40 years earlier that Moses is going to offer up all manner of resistance and not wanting to do now. But anyway, look forward to seeing you in chapter three.